0: Oh, good, everyone tonight. Uh, good evening, everyone. Our text reading tonight is from Acts 21. St- Acts 21, starting at verse 37. And we'll finish the reading at Acts 22, verse 30. So that's Acts 21, starting at verse 37. Paul speaks to the people. As Paul was about to be brought into the barracks, he said to the tribune, may I say something to you? And he said, do you know Greek? Are you not the Egyptian? Then, who recently stirred up a revolt and led the 4,000 men of the assassins out into the wilderness. Paul replied, I am a Jew from Tarsus in Cilicia, a citizen of no obscure city. I beg you, Permit me to speak to the people. And when he had given him permission, Paul, standing on the steps, motioned with his hand to the people. And when there was a great hush, he addressed them in the Hebrew language, saying, Brothers and fathers, hear the defense that I now make before you. And when they heard that he was addressing them in the Hebrew language, they became even more quiet. And he said, I am a Jew born in Tarsus in Cilicia, but brought up in this city, educated at the feet of Galamiel, according to the strict manner of the law of our fathers, being zealous for God, as all of you are this day. I persecuted this way to the death, binding and delivering to prison both men and women, as the high priest and the whole council of elders can bear me witness. From them I received letters to the brothers and I journeyed toward Damascus to take those also who were there and bring them in bonds to Jerusalem to be punished. As I was on my way and drew near to Damascus, about noon a great light from heaven suddenly shone around me and I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, And he said, the God of our fathers appointed you to know his will, to see the righteous one and to hear a voice from his mouth. For you will be a witness for him to everyone of what you have seen and heard. And now, why do you wait, rise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name? When I had returned to Jerusalem and was praying in the temple, I fell into a trance and saw him saying to me, Make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly, because they will not accept your testimony about me. And I said, Lord, they themselves know that in one synagogue after another I imprisoned and beat those who believed in you. And when the blood of Stephen, your witness, was being shed, I myself was standing by and approving and watching over the garments of those who killed him. And he said to me, go, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. Up to this word, they listened to me. Then they raised their voices and said, away with such a fellow from the earth, for he should not be allowed to live. And as they were shouting and throwing off their cloaks and flinging dust into the air, the tribune ordered him to be brought back into the barracks, saying, that he should be examined by flogging to find out why they were shouting against him like this. But when they had stretched him out for the whips, Paul said to the centurion who was standing by, is it lawful for you to flog a man who is a Roman citizen and uncondemned? When the centurion heard this, he went to the tribune and said to him, What are you about to do? For this man is a Roman citizen. So the tribune came and said to him, Tell me, are you a Roman citizen? And he said, Yes. The tribune answered, I bought this citizenship for a large sum. Paul said, But I am a citizen by birth. So those who were about to examine him withdrew from him immediately. And the tribune also was afraid for he realised that Paul was a Roman citizen and that he he had been bound bound him. But on the next day, desiring to know the real reason why he was being accused by the Jews, he unbound him and commanded the chief priests and all the council to meet, and he brought Paul down and set him before them. Amen. This morning we began a
1: series of messages on the cross of the Lord Jesus that we're calling Why Jesus Died. And as part of my preparation this past week, I pulled down my copy of John Stott's classic work, The Cross of Christ. And I was reminded in that book of a testimony of a young Muslim student John Stott summarizes it like this. He had been brought up to read the Quran, say his prayers, and lead a good life. He nevertheless knew that he was separated from God by his sins. When Christian friends brought him to church and encouraged him to read the Bible, he learned that Jesus Christ had died for his forgiveness. For me, He said the offer was irresistible and heaven sent. And he cried to God to have mercy on him through Christ. Almost immediately, the burden of my past life was lifted, he said. I felt as if a huge weight had gone. With the relief and sense of lightness, came incredible joy at last it had happened I was free of my past I knew that God had forgiven me and I felt clean I wanted to shout and tell everybody Jesus changed that young man's life and as we summarize Paul's defense that he makes to the mob that he's standing before in Acts 21 and 22, we could boil it down to these words, Jesus saved my life. Or Jesus changed, rather. Jesus changed my life. And he tells the mob, number one, who I was. Number two, who I met. And number three, who I serve. Now you remember Paul was standing before the mob in the first place because the Christians in the Jerusalem church had encouraged him to go with believers to the temple. And when he got to the temple, some of the Jews from Asia, likely Ephesus, noticed him and they'd misunderstood his gospel. And so they cried out in the temple, quote, men of Israel, help this is the man who is teaching everyone everywhere against the people and the law and this place. Moreover, he even brought Greeks into the temple and has defiled this holy place. And we know from last week's passage that that was a false allegation. Nevertheless, they rushed at Paul. The tribune had to get involved. And in Acts 21, 37-40, Paul clarifies for the tribune who he is and asks permission to speak to the people. And as we listen to Paul's defense that he makes of himself as he preaches to this mob, Jesus changed my life, we're going to see an awful lot for us to be able to imitate as we seek to tell others that Jesus changed our lives as well. Paul models evangelism In a wise way. Even though it ends up with him being in great danger. The fact is if we long to see people made new creations in Christ. then there's a great deal we can learn. From the way that Paul shares his own testimony of Jesus' work in his life. And so he tells them first who I was. Look again at verses 1 to 5. When Paul says, Brothers and fathers, hear the defense that I now make before you. And when they heard that he was addressing them in the Hebrew language, they became even more quiet. And he said, I am a Jew born in Tarsus in Cilicia, but brought up in this city, educated at the feet of Gamaliel, according to the strict manner of the law of our fathers, being zealous for God as all of you are this day. I persecuted this way to the death, binding and delivering to prison both men and women as the high priest and the whole council of Elders can bear me witness. From them I received letters to the brothers and I journeyed toward Damascus to take these also who were there and bring them in bonds to Jerusalem to be punished. Paul says, brothers and fathers, listen to me. I was one of you. I've stood where you stand. I understand how you're thinking And how you're feeling because I was just like you. I was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. Not only that, Paul says, but I was educated at the feet of Gamaliel. That's totally lost on us. It goes right over our heads. But if we were there... If we were part of the mob back then, that would have been, to us, the name drop of all name drops. Because Gamaliel was the most eminent teacher of the time. We met him all the way back in Acts chapter 5. And so what Paul is doing is establishing his credibility by saying to them, I understand your hostility. And if your accusation against me is that I teach the people to be against the Jews, against the temple, against the law... What you would need to understand is that no one was for those things more than I was. And those things were precious to me as they are to you. Well, the application to us tonight is a no-brainer. Get on the same level as those whom you're seeking to win for Jesus Christ. Because the Pharisee in the temple may well have been able to pray, I thank you, Lord, that I'm not like other men, but we know we are just like other men left to ourselves. And so, friends, we must resist at every point and turn the tendency to reprimand and to speak harshly with people, to be impatient with people because we know we come from the same stock as they do. We're just like them by nature. No matter how confused they are, no matter how messy their lives are, n- no matter how my, they might ridicule what we believe, there is never a place for impatience as we seek to win them for Jesus because we're just like them. You know, Last Thursday, as I prayed a few moments ago, we started Hope Explored with a number of Uh, locals who are unbelievers and to them so many of the words, so many of the truths, so many of the concepts are brand new to them and so as I was preparing for the course I started to to think to myself look if I who was raised in a Christian home by two Christian parents and who is familiar with the Bible from, from day one and was at church twice a week and was still bewildered by the gospel then how on earth could I be impatient with these people who have perhaps never heard the gospel at all? I remember being in church as a boy uh, on my knees. And that might sound very holy to you all, except the reason I was on my knees is because I was using the pew uh, as a surface on which I could use my paper to draw. And in the middle of of a sermon, Bill Dyer, the pastor, shouted out for the whole church to hear... In 20 years, will the Willis boys still be drawing through these sermons? Why did he pick on me? Well, he picked on me because I probably came across as the least likely to ever get it. You remember what Paul said in Titus 3? Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work. To speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, to show perfect courtesy toward all people. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. Remember what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6. Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed. You were justified. You were sanctified in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. So, So, friends, whether we can relate to the specifics or not, we understand that we are just like the unbelievers whom we meet in terms of our nature and in terms of who we are as human beings. It doesn't matter whether the sin in their life right now corresponds to the sin that we used to struggle with before we were converted, because we know at the deepest, most profound, fundamental level, we come from the same stock. And so really, perhaps some of us need to get over ourselves a little bit as we interact with unbelievers and have great patience with those who can't see what we can see by grace and by grace alone. And if you're here tonight and you're not yet a Christian, let me say to you, I will not judge you for being confused by this gospel because I know what that's like. And I won't be impatient with you or hard with you for not getting this gospel, because again, I know what that feels like. But I also know what it's like to be changed by this gospel as well, such that this Willis boy is no longer drawing through sermons, but is delivering them. And what can explain that change? Sovereign grace alone. Here's what can explain that changed. Jesus changed my life. I didn't change my life. So Paul tells them who I was, but then he goes on to who I met. Just look again at verse 6 of Acts 22. As I was on my way and drew near to Damascus about noon, a great light from heaven suddenly shone around me. The great change in my life came about through the one whom I had been persecuting. I I approached Damascus leading the charge. But I entered Damascus as one who had to be led himself. I approached Damascus as uh, seeking to arrest men and women, but I entered Damascus as one who himself had been arrested. I approached Damascus to to decimate, to demolish, to destroy those belonging to the way. But I arrived as one whose pride had been demolished and whose worldview had been decimated and whose resistance had been destroyed. I I approached Damascus as a conqueror, but I, I entered Damascus as one who himself had been conquered. You see, in a moment, Paul says, a light flashed from heaven. And for a second, I could make out the figure of the Lord Jesus Christ. But the light fried my eyeballs in my sockets. And because I met him, I was never the same. And so, friend, listen to me. No one is outside of God's reach. No one is outside of God's reach. I don't care who they are. Because the Jesus who saved Saul is the Jesus that saves men and women today. He's the same Jesus. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Now church, I am going to encourage us with that in a few moments. But first I need to rebuke us with that. Because when you think to yourself, no point sharing the gospel with him. No point sharing the gospel with her. her. Honestly, how dare you? Is that man's rebellion greater than Jesus' power to save? Is that person's hardness stronger than his arm to save? And is that person's anger against God greater than God's love for them? Have you forgotten who our God is? The psalmist says our God is in the heavens and he does all that pleases him. And when it pleases him to save, he saves. And when it pleases him to harden, he hardens. Do you all remember that the most towering theologian of the first 1,000 years of church history was a perverted sex addict for so much of his life? He said, as I grew to manhood, Augustine said, I was inflamed with desire for a surfeit of hell's pleasures. My family made no effort to save me from my fall by marriage. Their only concern was that I should learn how to make a good speech and how to persuade others by my words. My father cared only that I should have a fertile tongue. And so in search of that fertile tongue, Augustine left for Carthage at age 17 where he would be trained in uh, rhetoric and elocution. And he found that fertile tongue. He quickly became the, the, the most successful, the top of his class. But he found in Carthage more than speech because he said, I went to Carthage where I found myself in the midst of a hissing cauldron of lust. My real need was for you, my God, who are the food of the soul. I was not aware of this hunger, but then for me to cut a very long story short, he did become aware of his need, that his hunger was for God. And I want to read to you the moment, his Damascus Road experience, as it were, where he says, there was a small garden attached to the house where we lodged. I now found found myself driven by the tumult in my chest to take refuge in this garden where no one could interrupt that fierce struggle in which I was my own contestant. I was beside myself with madness that would bring me sanity. I was dying a death that would bring me life. I was frantic, overcome by violent anger with myself for not accepting your will and entering into your covenant. I tore my hair and hammered my forehead with my fists. I locked my fingers and hugged my knees. Then later he writes, I flung myself down beneath a fig tree and gave way to the tears which now streamed from my eyes. In my misery I kept crying, how long shall I go on saying tomorrow, tomorrow, why not now? Why not make an end of all my ugly sins at this moment? All at once I heard the sing-song voice of a child in a nearby house. Whether it was the voice of a boy or a girl, I cannot say, but again and again it repeated the refrain, take it and read. Take it and read. At this, I looked up thinking hard whether there was any kind of game in which children used to chant words like these, but I could not remember ever hearing them before. I stemmed my flood of tears and stood up telling myself that this could only be a divine command to open my book of scripture and read the first passage on which my eyes should fall. And so I hurried and seized the book of Paul's epistles and opened it and in silence I read the first passage on which my eyes fell, quote, not in reveling and drunkenness, not in lust and sexual immorality, not in quarrels and rivalries, rather arm yourself. With the Lord Jesus Christ, spend no more thought on nature and on nature's appetites. I had no wish to read more and no need to do so. For in an instant as I came to the end of the sentence, it was as though the light of confidence flooded into my heart and all the darkness of doubt was dispelled. Jesus can change anybody's life. That's why Jesus changed your life, isn't it? And why Jesus changed Saul's life. And there's another point of practical application for us here as well. Because when Paul told his conversion story. He did it in a way that would resonate with his hearers. It's interesting. He says specifically that he heard a voice that was speaking out of the light. And no doubt to this thoroughly Jewish audience. They they would have heard that and, and thought of God as the one who spoke out of the fire at Sinai. And then he went on and described Ananias as a, a devout man according to the law, well spoken of by all the Jews who lived there. What is he doing? He's establishing more and more credibility. And he's witnessing according to a sanctified common sense. And if we're going to do that, when we act, then we actually have to know who our hearers are, don't we? we have to spend time listening to them. We have to spend time and get to know them well enough in order for us to know how best to share with them. Because sometimes we only have one opportunity to speak, but other times we have a good length of time. So if you've started a, a new job or Perhaps if you're getting to know new unbelievers, my recommendation to you would be to get to know your colleagues or your friends well enough to know how to best share the gospel with them. To know how to apply the gospel to them in a way that speaks to their situation right where they are. And that might mean waiting a little while. You don't want to wait too long because if you do, then the gospel will sound like no big deal when you come to share it. But if you rush in, you'll share it in a way that will go right over their heads. And it's about knowing them well enough to know what to say and what to apply in the gospel. So Paul says, who I was, who I met. And then lastly, he speaks of who I serve. Go with me at verse 14 again. And he said, the God of our fathers appointed you to know his will. This is Ananias speaking to Paul to see the righteous one and to... To hear a voice from his mouth, for you will be a witness for him to everyone of what you have seen and heard. And now why do you wait? Rise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name. When I had returned to Jerusalem, was praying in the temple, I fell into a trance and saw him saying to me, Make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly, because they will not accept your testimony about me. And I said, Lord, they themselves know that in one synagogue after another I imprisoned and beat those who believed in you. And when the blood of Stephen, your witness, was being shed, I myself was standing by and approving and watching over the garments of those who killed him. And he said to me, go, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. And so Paul went from persecuting Jesus to being a witness Jesus, that since the Jews wouldn't accept his witness, Jesus sent him far away to people like you and me, to to the Gentiles. And the moment Paul mentioned the Gentiles, that's when the holy hush that was over the mob exploded in a blast of rage. Why? What was the problem? Because the problem was making Gentiles into believers in the Messiah without first making them Jews was an abomination to them, as one commentator put it. But there's a number of points for us to consider here for us as well. And the first, interestingly, and maybe quite unexpectedly for us tonight, is this. To be a witness for Jesus, you have to be converted to Jesus. Now, why on earth do I say that? Isn't that... Well, don't miss verse 16, when Ananias says to Paul, rise and be baptized, and wash away your sins, calling on his name. It's interesting, many people argue that Paul, as, a, as an ethnic Jew, was already in, but then when Jesus appeared to him, he sort of just sharpened his understanding a little bit. Just revealed to him who the Messiah was, but no, Paul had to get saved, He had to have his sins washed away by calling on the name of the Lord. And you'd say, well, obviously, Hugh, obviously. But you'd be very surprised as to how many pulpits today are occupied by unconverted men and women. So what should we do? Well, friends, we should make our calling and election sure. Before we seek to be fruitful in our evangelism of the lost, not only that, but we should not begrudge hard labor as Paul had it here. Uh, maybe your colleagues are hard. Uh, maybe your colleagues are resistant. Uh, maybe your colleagues do exclude you and your neighbors revile you and speak all kinds of evil against you falsely on Jesus' account. But remember, The only reason Paul was able to narrowly miss being scourged, as we were hearing about this morning, was because in God's providence, he was a Roman citizen. But suffice it to say, the Apostle Paul did suffer for Christ. And so, if we're to be faithful to Christ, we must have that attitude that says we are unworthy servants, we have only done our duty. And we can count everything as lost, even our comfort, even our acceptance for the surpassing worth of walking with Jesus Christ to heaven. And can I say this lastly of all to us? Stay close to the one that you're serving. You see, we can talk about who I was and who I met and who I serve. But if we're not serving out of the overflow of a real vital life-giving walk with christ it all amounts to very little in the end wood hay and stubble that will be burned up in a moment it's easy isn't it to just want to throw in the towel when evangelism gets hard but when we stay close to jesus we will realize there is no life apart from him and when he says to us do you want to leave also And we'll say to him, Lord, where else can we go? You have the words of eternal life. And Jesus, you have changed my life. I'm not going anywhere. And even if I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because you are with me. Your rod and staff to comfort me. Jesus changes lives, doesn't he? And Jesus changed our lives. And for that, we can worship him and be immensely grateful and thankful. Amen. 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 Why don't we stand then and do exactly that and sing this last.